I just was having had to have a little talk with myself this afternoon just about never taking for granted the word of God um, and you know sometimes you can prepare a message and you sort of feel a bit I don't know what the word is not reluctant but just tired or you think oh you don't have that room to deliver and and then you get here and I can never decide whether it's great to have a huge crowd or a small crowd, but, you know, I just have to talk to myself and say, well, Lord, I'm doing it as unto you. And so I just thank you for your faithfulness in coming. I thank you for the worship team as well and the sound people's their faithfulness every week. And I just want to say that you can have really good meals and steak meals and actually get to the stage where you take it for granted and you're so used to it. And so... I just really felt this afternoon that I just want to give us a minute just to settle your hearts before the Lord if they're not settled and you've been rushing and anything you need to lay aside because I don't want us to ever take hearing the word of God for granted to maybe just think, oh, well, I've heard that before a million times because the word is alive and active and so you, can get, you should be getting something out of it every time you hear it. So I just really want to give us a minute just to settle And just ask the Holy Spirit to open the eyes and ears of your heart that you're not going to just switch off. I'm not saying you will, but that you you just won't have, you know, hear something and think, well, I've heard that so many times, but that you'll really just ask the Holy Spirit to bring out what he wants to bring out for you today. So I'll just um, be quiet for a minute. Father, we just thank you so so much for your word, the, just the richness and the life that we get out of it. And so I just commit it to you today, and I just ask you to just accomplish with it what you have got planned, Lord. We just commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I've got a question for you, church. What is your protection against deception? When a spirit of deception comes in to attack you, or when a false teaching comes in to deceive you, or when a false teacher comes in to, lay you, to lead you astray, what comes to your defense? It's not a rhetorical question, so I actually want to answer, please. The Word of God. Okay, my work here is finished, right? Good. <laughs> All right, so as you know, protection from deception is to be fully, fully immersed in the Word of God. And it's the absolute standard, it's the absolute authority by which we have to, we've already, I've already told you this before, have to measure every teaching and every teacher. And it's a standard, though, that we need to apply to our own daily life as well so that we don't fall both into deception and into self-deception. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Now, no one likes to admit to the possibility of being self-deceived, and I can remember... Um, The last time I spoke on the word, I actually asked people to indicate with their hand. I think first I set it up, um, you know, has everybody obeyed everything in the scriptures? And, you know, people put, um, or who has disobeyed or not done everything in the scriptures, put their hand up. And then, okay, who thinks they could be self-deceived? And there was just a few people that put their hand up there. Um, So we don't like to maybe even think about that being possible with us. But you know what? If there's a disconnect between what you know and what you do about what you know, then you're deceiving yourself. I'm just gonna say that again, let it sink in, it's really important. If there's a disconnect between what you know and what you actually do about what you know, then you're deceiving yourself. Because we do come up with justifications, and this is self-deception, 
And yes, we don't like to hear it. I don't like to hear it myself and often even balk at thinking that. But think about it this way. If you or I, everything I say when I say you, I'm talking to myself as well, of course. If you are justifying or making excuses for why you're not applying a particular scripture to your life or your situation, then what you're actually doing is giving reasons why it's okay for you in your particular circumstance to not obey the word of God. That's what justification is, and I'm sure we can all see that that is self-deception. Because there's no justification that you can give which ever makes it all right to disobey the word of God. No matter how nicely we wrap it up and package it to explain it away to ourselves and to others. You know, and I have to admit, I've seen over the years, and I mean, I'm, you know, I've had my share of this as well, where we absolutely complicate things far more when we actually compromise on the principles laid down on the Word of God and we don't deal with things the way the Bible tells us to. It actually gets more complicated when you do that. You know, um, often, unfortunately, you know, in, well, well, for anyone, for all of you as Christians, but, you know, in leadership, sometimes you have to confront people and you have to deal with situations that you'd rather not. And, um, you know, often people will say, oh, well, you know, it's just not in my nature to do that or I don't like doing it. You know, and sometimes I sort of feel like, well, because David and I have to do it often, you know, does it seem like it's in our nature or we enjoy doing it? But I hate doing it. Nobody enjoys doing it. All right, you get all the whole gambit of emotions that go with that, the feeling sick, the dreading it and everything. But you know what? My, um, my fear of God has to outweigh my fear of man. And that's really important, okay? So I'm not saying it's easy, but if we compromise on Scripture and what the Scripture says, you will complicate your life and, and the issue that you're dealing with. And your fear of God needs to outweigh your fear of man. And so as well, you know, if we compromise on applying the Word of God as, as it being our standard for how we conduct our daily lives in whatever area, then that is going to make us far more susceptible to false teaching, because these false teachings are designed to deceive you. They're designed to actually feed into your justifications, and they're going to confirm for you the various justifications that you're making in terms of why it's okay to disobey the word. Because the enemy wants you to believe lies, okay? He wants you to believe lies, even lies that you might have presented to yourself as excuses for not obeying the word. And so he'll feed on these to, to get you to stay into bondage, in bondage, deceiving yourself. Now, one of the major effects that the Word of God has got in our lives is a revelatory effect, okay? It reveals things. And I read a really excellent quote about this revelatory effect. Listen carefully. Remember that while you are reading your Bible, your Bible is also reading you. And I think that's really important, so I'm going to repeat it. You don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads you. Think about that for a minute. And um, I found a scripture that sums this up perfectly that your Bible would read you, and it's Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active. It's reading you, it's working in you. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so today I'm gonna look at two ways that the word of God acts to bring revelation into our life. And the two points I'm going to be speaking about today come from um, teaching by Derek Prince from his book, Foundational Truths for Christian Living. I'm almost reluctant to even quote a book or to mention a book anymore. <laughs> There's so many people, you know, that we, we'd looked up to have fallen into deception. But um, 
As always, you check it with the Word of God that you're reading, and um, Derek Prince has passed on, so I feel quite confident that he's not going to fall into deception now, so... All right, so there are two ways that the Word of God acts to bring revelation into our lives. One, it acts like a mirror, and secondly, it is and it will be our judge. And you'll see later that that's a really exciting point. So the Word of God like a mirror in our lives. James 1, 25, and a verse you'll all be familiar with. Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So just as a a physical mirror is going to reflect your outward external condition, so the word of God reflects our internal spiritual condition. That's really important. Just as a physical mirror reflects your external outward condition, the Word of God acts as a mirror to reflect your inward spiritual condition. And if we open to the Holy Spirit and what He wants to show us, then the Word will always reveal things to us, things that nothing or no man can reveal to you. It reveals what's going on on the inside. And when you really start getting into the Word or hearing the Word, you might find that you start feeling inwardly disturbed and restless. All right? Things that once appealed to you might no longer appeal to you. Well, hopefully they won't if they were really bad, hey? Depends what they are. But, you know, even, even with hearing a message like this, some of you, you might feel that inward tug, okay? And that's the word that's working to bring you to that point of revelation, to bring you to the point of actually seeing your inner condition. And you see, when you come to Christ, there has to be genuine repentance. And with this, there will be ongoing change in you. So if you've come to a point of repentance, there will be ongoing change as you submit to the word, align it to change your thoughts and attitudes and behaviors. The result that the word produces in us though depends on our reaction to it. And if we're in a true relationship with the Jesus Christ of the Bible, there will be evidence of this in a changed life. Okay, if there's no change from when you were not a Christian to when you are a Christian and walking you know, in the Lord a number of years, then there's a problem. There should be a difference. You should not look the same as the world or the same as you did when you were in the world. And, you know, I see the problem as being this. It's possible to be a believer without being a disciple. All right, so James 2.19. You believe there's one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Satan himself believes in God as well. So it is possible to be a believer but not be a disciple. And the difference between the two is that the disciple is actively applying God's word to his or her life and and they are changing and they are producing fruit. Whereas the believer claims to have accepted Christ, but there's been no noticeable evidence of any change. And these are the people who would be compromising on applying the word of God. They maybe apply what suits them and the things they don't like, they might not apply. You know, in the natural, when you look in a mirror, you're going to react usually to what it shows you, aren't you? If your hair's messy, you'll go and fix it up or brush it. If you see, you know, that you've got something smudged on your face, you'll wash it, etc. How many of you have ever had things and, and get annoyed and think, why didn't someone tell me? Yep. So someone didn't tell me my shirt was tucked in still when I came out of the toilet or something. Or, you know, I've got this mark on my face and they haven't told me. We get annoyed because we want to know because our natural thing would be that we're just going to correct it. 
And so in the natural, we do that. And to gain the benefits from the Word of God, we've got to respond to the Word in exactly the same way as you would when you look into that natural mirror, by addressing and adjusting what needs to be addressed and adjusted. And I'd like to read you a quote by Charles Spurgeon. The Word of the Lord is a revealer of secrets. It shows a man his life, his thoughts, his heart, his inmost self. The Scripture gives a truthful reflection of man's nature. It lets the man see himself not as others see him, for others make mistakes, nor as he would see himself, for he is very apt to be partial to his own soul. But the Scripture makes him see himself as God sees. I think he was quite kind there as well when he said that part about... um, It lets man see himself not as others see him, for others make mistakes. Yes, people do, but also we only show them what we want them to see as well often. And so they go on that. All right, James 1, 23 to 25 again. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And you can see from that scripture that when we look into the mirror of the word, there's going to be two responses, one of two possible responses. One, you will hear the word and you will choose not to apply it. Or two, you will hear the word and you will choose to apply it. You alone determine how you're going to respond to what the word is producing in you and consequently what the outworking or what the result of that's going to be in your life. So I'm going to just look for a few minutes at each of those two responses. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You know, I have read commentaries and things where they talk about that looking as just being a quick glance. But it's actually not, okay, because I looked up the the words in the Greek and the Hebrew word. And um, so the word for looks there and looking comes from that, but looks is katanoio, obviously pronouncing it wrong, but from the Greek. And it means to observe fully, to behold, to consider, to discover, to perceive. And then, of course, the word which is looks in the Hebrew in that particular verse of Scripture, to perceive, remark, observe, understand, to consider attentively, to fix one's eyes or mind upon. You can clearly see from that choice of word there um, that James has used that it's not a quick casual glancing. It's someone who's actually looked and considered. And so the scary thing about that verse is that James is not talking about people who've never heard the word of God. The person he speaks to is a serious hearer of the word of God. The words looks and looking indicate someone who's considering something. You can see that from the definition. These are people who have actually taken time to be taught and consider what God has to say. People like yourself sitting here under the word week after week. They're not spiritually ignorant. So James is talking about a hearer who doesn't intend to apply what he or she hears. And you know, sadly, there's lots of people that are like this today. They've got a serious disconnect between what they know and what they do about what they know. And I mentioned that earlier. Now, there are various reasons why people can have this disconnect, why they don't respond to what they see in the mirror of God's Word. And I'm just going to look at briefly at three of those reasons. First, there are some who don't look at all. They don't read, let alone study the Word of God for themselves. And these are people that I would refer to as believers rather than disciples. That might sound shocking, like I'm making a judgment. How can I judge that? But honestly, 
If you're a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to love the Word as much as you love the Lord. The Word is the Word of God. And I read to you last time a quote from Derek Prince when I preached about the Word of God. And um, it says, this is, I'll just read part of it, not the whole quote. The Bible is the Word of God and Christ is the Word of God. And then he goes through the whole quote to compare the Word of God with Christ and just how it perfectly you know, fits with each other. And then the last sentence he says, if Christ is in this sense perfectly one with the Bible, then it follows that the relationship of the believer to the Bible must be the same as his relationship with Christ. So you cannot claim to be a disciple if you're not regularly reading and actively applying the Word of God to your life. A second reason why people don't respond to what they see in God's Word is that we can often look in the mirror and just see the clothes, only the clothes we're wearing. So we're too distracted, we're too busy with religion and maybe our religious garb, um, clothing, and we actually need to take time to draw aside before God and we need to take off all our masks, lay aside all your pretenses and excuses. And you know, you'll often hear something like this, a sermon, and maybe it does convict and you just need to go and act on that. So... You know, obviously you wouldn't be doing anything right now, but you need to set aside time. If there's been something that's convicted you, you need to go and decide like tonight or tomorrow, I'm going to actually spend time with the Lord, draw aside, take off all the excuses and just see what he wants to hear. And so we've got to truthfully and honestly look into that mirror and allow the Holy Spirit to show us whatever it is he needs to show us. And then we need to act on that revelation and that's done through repentance followed by actually changing and that's called growth and maturity, okay? And that is discipleship. It's allowing the work of sanctification to take place in your life. A third reason why people don't respond is because some believers are too busy looking at other people to see themselves. And anyone guilty of that? I must admit I am. <laughs> and the scripture that springs to mind here is Luke 6.42. How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Gotta love the word of God, right? Just hits it on the head. A little speck in your brother's eye and this big log or big plank in your eye. All right, so looking but not responding to conviction. The word reveals our spiritual condition to us as God sees it. And as I said, we might get pricked when we hear the word, and that's conviction. We need to see what is wrong, and we need to address it. But if we do not actually change the way we live, then the conviction starts to wear off, and we just settle back into our old ways. The passage says he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. You see, we can become complacent, and we can continue on a path that's moving away from God. What we hear has to be lived out in private as well as in public. All right, or well, there's no point in actually hearing at all. And I just want to really challenge you tonight, just as you would address or adjust whatever needs adjusting and addressing in your external appearance when you look in a mirror, please would you do no less with your spiritual condition. Now let's look at the second response, and this is the response that we need to choose. Looking intently, not forgetting what you're hearing, but doing it. And the verse goes on to say that this response will bring blessing. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So as we respond correctly to the revelation that the word's producing, as we address our condition and change our behaviors and attitudes, we will be blessed. 
And you know, this is where um, we've got to just remember true repentance, the meaning, understand what repentance means. Repentance doesn't just mean, oh, well, you just agree with what God says. Yes, that's part of it, but you actively actually change your mind. Throughout the Old Testament, we saw with repentance where the word repentance was used. It was that physically be actually turning around and going in another direction. And then in the New Testament, we see it's actually changing your mind. So when you put those two pictures together, that gives you a true picture of repentance. So you're actually changing your thinking, changing your mind, and you're actually turning from that behavior and no longer doing it. And you know, it's possible, you know, a lot of people, there's a lot of misconception about repentance. A lot of people just um, sort of attach repentance to emotion. And they think, well, there's lots of wailing and crying and whatever, I must have repented. And if I haven't done that, if I haven't felt any emotion, then obviously I haven't repented. But it's not that. It's a cold, calculated decision with your mind. You can have people that are, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with crying. Often it may be accompanied with that outpouring of emotion. But don't, um, you know, just see that as, oh, well, I was crying and so there I've, I've really repented. There has to be an actual result, which is where you turn away from that and you're actually changing your mind and not doing it anymore. And, you know, I just think about that as well, that, how that contrasts with just um, the antinomianism we were talking about where they just believe that we're not subject to any moral law, even any biblical law, okay? Jesus did it did it all, um, the Harper Grace as well, Jesus did it all, and so it just means I'll just say, sorry, Jesus, when I do something, and then until the next time, then I do it again, I can just say, sorry, Jesus, and then I'm all right again. Repentance means you actually change your mind and you stop doing it. It doesn't just mean a casual, sorry, Jesus, and then next time I do it again, I haven't made any effort to actually change my behavior. All right, so there has to be true repentance, just as a mirror doesn't only show us what's wrong, uh, show us what's wrong, but you know, if you, your mirror as well shows you when you're looking good as well. You know, you're all dressed up and just thinking of Josh and Liv's wedding next week and us girls will all be just checking ourselves out in the mirror and the boys as well. I know some boys spend longer with the mirror than the girls and that's fine, but you know, just as much as you can look in the physical mirror and see how good you're looking and feel good about yourself, the same thing happens once you've repented, all right? The mirror of the word is going to show you the new creation that you are in Christ. It will show you the righteousness that you have in Christ. Looking intently into the perfect law, continuing in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it. This brings freedom and blessing. You see, if you ignore what the mirror shows you, then you actually remain a slave to your own passions and desires. They will actually be controlling you. But it's in acting on and applying what the mirror reveals, what the word reveals, that you become free. And then when you look into God's word, you repent, believe, and obey. And then the next time you look into that mirror of the word, you begin to see yourself as God sees you in Christ, forgiven, cleansed, justified, a new creation. You know, last week, some of the girls and I were talking about just how easily we get affected by and, and often believe. We don't struggle to believe the lies that the enemy throws at us or the negative things that people say about you. And we spoke about how they say there's some statistic for every neg one negative thing you need to hear, 10 positive to cancel out or whatever. I don't know about you, but that doesn't work for me anyway. I still doesn't cancel out the negative. But we, we just how we don't struggle at all to believe the lie and to believe the negative and you know, so, but, but yet we struggle so much to accept what God's word says about us and to believe that. And that comes right back to the, goes right back to the garden, one of the first sins where, um, you know, 
Satan when he went and um, tempted Eve, and, and he sowed in disbelief or unbelief. Did God really say that? Is God really? And that's where it came in, and you know, we've got inherited nature and iniquity, and so we have that unbelief in us. And so we often struggle to really um, believe what the Word of God says about us. And we need to have faith. We need to, ha- and faith believes what God says in His Word about Himself. Faith also believes what God says in His Word about you. And faith believes that He will do what He says in His Word. And you know, I'm just, you know that I'm passionate about the Word of God, and it's just because I know it works, it works, it works. You know, like the girl that jumps out of a plane or whatever with a parachute, and it works, all right? And if you're not getting into the Word for yourself, then you're going to continue to struggle. Because firstly, you need to know what the Word says about who you are in Christ. And if you're not reading it, you're not going to know what it says, and so you're not going to be able to believe it. All right, the Bible tells us we've got to continually wash ourselves with the word. It's like washing your mind all the time with the word, renewing your mind. That's the only way that you're going to start. It's going to go from here into your heart where you start believing, washing regularly with the word. Just think about this. You wouldn't go unless you really had to for a couple of days without showering and bathing. You'll be stinking, right? It's the same thing. You're going to have stinking thinking if you're not washing your mind regularly with the Word of God. And as you keep washing it, then that's where you're going to start to believe. Because how can you believe something you haven't heard? If you don't know what it says about who you are, how can you believe it? And secondly, you've got to continue in the Word to increase your faith so that it goes from being just head knowledge because head knowledge is information where it goes into your heart and that's where it becomes revelation when you really believe it in your heart. And you know, sometimes it's just that you have to confess that scripture over and over and eventually you will see with time, because God's word is alive, it's powerful, he's faithful, you will see with time that that shift will take place from head knowledge to heart revelation. Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I've just got two versions up there. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Now, I want you to listen carefully. I'm going to read you a quote from Derek Prince about faith, and it's really important to grasp this, okay? It's, it's, yeah, it's deep. God's word does not immediately produce faith, but only hearing. Hearing may be described as an attitude of aroused interest and attention, sincere desire to receive and to understand the message presented. Then out of hearing there develops faith. It's important to see that the hearing of God's word initiates a process in the soul out of which faith develops and that this process requires a minimum period of time. This explains why there's so little faith to be found among so many professing Christians today. They never devote enough time to the hearing of God's word to allow it to produce in them any substantial proportion of faith. If they ever devote any time at all to private devotions and the study of God's word, the whole thing is conducted in such a hurried and haphazard way that it's all over before faith has had time to develop. Since faith comes only from hearing God's word, faith is always directly related to God's word. Scriptural faith may be defined as believing that God means what he has said in his word, that God will do what he has promised in his word to do. So that's really important. It takes time. You know, often um, you'll, you'll want people to believe things and that, but if they're not sitting under the word, they're actually almost incapable. 
of doing that because they need to have faith to accept the word of God and what's saying. And often people just think, well, um, you know, it's going to be, I'll believe and have faith and then I'll repent. But that's not how it goes. If you look at all the scriptures and you look at Jesus' first word, it's repent first and then the faith comes. All right, so just get into the word of God. Don't wait until you feel like doing it or you have the faith to do it because that is how your faith is going to grow by being in the word. It just, um, I was having a conversation at work with one of my work colleagues a few weeks ago, and um, you know, I often talk to him about the things of the Lord. He's not a Christian, um, but you know, his dad is, and, and he's often said to me, my, you and my dad would get on really well. You know? So he's, he's not close to it, because you can hear like he's familiar with a lot of the things that I say to him. And one of the things he said to me, he's, you know, we were just talking, and, and he said to me that He'd just been saying to his dad, he really wants to believe, he wants to have that faith. Um, And, you know, I didn't think about it at the time, but later I just thought, well, actually what I should, and I'll probably bring it up to him the next time I talk, is say, I should have said that that scripture to him, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. So it's no good saying, I want to have faith, I want to have more faith. If you're not doing something about putting yourself, actively putting yourself under the word of God. So I need to challenge him the next time I talk to him and say, well, you said this, you made this statement that you want to have faith. What are you actually doing about it? Because it's not just going to come, it's, God's not going to just hit you on, a mat, on the head with a wand that you'll have faith. If you're saying and you're sincere in what you're saying that you want to have faith, you want to believe, then you need to actually put yourself under the word of God. You need to start going to church or listen, you know, so that you can actually be hearing because that is the way that you're going to develop faith. It's no good just wishing it. Um, you need to, your faith will grow in proportion as well to the amount of time that you're spending in the Word. So choosing to respond correctly to the conviction of the Word will benefit us and bring blessing. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. I want you to notice the words continues in it. So it's not a one-off thing, Okay. It's got to be a lifestyle, a daily habit of life. As I said earlier, washing your mind with that word, continuing in it. It's a, it's, because you know what? It's in the routine and grind of daily life that your faith in God's word, that your trust that he really means what he says gets tested. You know, you might think you've got it, and it's just really in that daily grind that it actually gets tested. So the faithful listener continues as a doer of the word. And remember I told you before, God's spirit and God's word will always work together. So as we look into the mirror of the word, as we look into it, it's in doing that that the spirit actually works in you to change you into the likeness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And that's what you'll start seeing when you look in that mirror, you're getting conformed to the image of Christ. And when you do that, you're going to be blessed. So the first revelatory effect of God's word is it serves as a mirror to reflect your inward spiritual condition. Now the second revelatory effect is that God's word is our judge. And I said to you that this is actually exciting. You'll see why when I get near the end. But follow this progression that I'm going to show you through scripture here. All right, we see throughout the Old Testament that the office of judge belongs to God, God the Father, okay? And here's a few scriptures just to show you this. 
Genesis 18.25, will not the judge of all the earth do right? I've underlined so you can see judge. Judges 11.27, let the Lord, the judge, decide this, the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. Psalm 58.11, then people will say, surely the righteous still are rewarded. Surely there is a God who judges the earth. Isaiah um, 33.22, the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who will save us. All right, so we see through the Old Testament that God is the judge. Now, let, let's see what happens as we move into the New Testament. Jesus now says, uh, no, Jesus didn't say this, sorry, John. John 5, 22. Moreover, the Father judges no one. Oh, could have been Jesus. I'll have to check. But has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. You see, because with the um, office of judge comes honor. And so the father's passed that on to Jesus. John 5, 26 to 27. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. So God the father transferred the office of judgment with the honor that goes with it to the son, to Jesus. Okay, so that's your first transfer. Now let's look at what Jesus says. John 12, 47 to 48. If anyone hears my word but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. Derek Prince explains it like this. We see that the final authority of judgment is vested in the word of God. This is the impartial, unchanging standard of judgment to which all men must one day answer. Jesus also said in Matthew 18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Matthew 24, he said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Now look at what the Lord says in, um, to us in Isaiah 62, 66 verse 2. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. Tremble at his word. So we need to see that the role of judgment is transferred from, being transferred from God's word, is at, to God's word, sorry, is actually a further outworking of God's love and grace and mercy towards us. All right, so it's a further outworking of his grace and mercy towards us because it means that we can know now the standards by which we're going to be judged. All right, and so we can apply that standard, that word to our lives now so that before we stand before God and our lives get judged by the word, then we already knew what the standard was and we can live up to it now and then we will not be condemned. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.31, so if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So how do we judge ourselves? It's simple. You just need to apply the word of God to your life. That's your absolute standard. Make sure you obey and apply every aspect of God's word fully to your lives. And if you do this through, through repentance and faith, then God is not going to bring judgment on you. Jesus gives us this assurance. He says in John 5, 24, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the word of God is like a mirror. It reveals the spiritual condition of our life, our thoughts, our hearts, our inmost self. 
and that the scripture gives us a truthful reflection of our nature. And as we respond to this true reflection in repentance and the Holy Spirit works in you to change that reflection so that it then begins to reflect who you are in Christ. The word of God is our judge. Correctly responding to the reflection in the mirror now means that you're accepting and obeying God's word and you will not be judged and you have full assurance of salvation through the righteousness of Christ. And as the, the scripture that I read earlier and James says, there are blessing that accompany the looking into and the hearing of God's word. But probably the best blessing of all is this, John 14, 23. Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. You couldn't ask for a greater blessing than that, could you? Intimacy with the Father and with the Son. Thank you for your attention. Thank you.